Hey everyone, and welcome to season eight of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. My name is John, and I'll be your guest host for this season while we talk about the millennial pastors in the Church of the Nazarene who are committed to serving their church and the denomination. You know, in a study done by Research Services with the Church of the Nazarene Global Ministry Center, uh, they started to compare lead pastors with the denomination from 2000 and 2019. Some interesting trends kind of came out from that, and the biggest thing was the shift of nearly 20% in age groups. The primary age for lead pastors within the Church of the Nazarene in 2000 was 35 to 54, which I think most of us would expect. In 2019, we saw a shift of those exact pastors simply getting older and no new younger pastors emerging. So we're here not to lament what has happened, but to celebrate those who have stayed and to begin to explore why. Why did they stay? What helped keep them in the church? And perhaps how we can encourage and create new opportunities for others to remain as well. Well, we're going to listen to uh, some stories, hear from people who have spoken into their lives, and celebrate the choice that they have made to stay within the denominational walls. I'm sure that they're just like me, and we've seen many of our friends and colleagues leave the Church of the Nazarene, and they perhaps contemplated leaving as well. But alas, here we are, and I know without a doubt that the church is better because they have remained. Well, today we have a special guest, Eden Avalos. I'm excited you can join me. Why don't you go and say hi? Yeah, hi, everybody. Well, Eden and I, we, we got to meet each other a couple months ago um, there in Indianapolis. It was great to meet you with uh, one of our uh, friends, Kenny Wade. Uh, he's a good guy. I know he's been a special person in your life. But why don't, okay. you, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, my, yeah, my name's Eden. Uh, I'm the youth and associate pastor here in Frankfurt, Indiana. Um, I've been here six months. Uh, I have a, a wife and daughter. My wife is Abigail. She um, she's staying at home with the baby right now, but she comes from the world of helping helping people uh, come out of crisis, and so she's she's very passionate about that stuff. She's right now she just can't work because of you know, the baby, uh, and we're trying to do our best to to be home with the, with with our with our daughter, and and so um, we're just kind of adjusting to this this role of full time. Um, it's my first full time position, but. You know, as you know, like part-time positions are still full-time. They're just not called <laughs> absolutely time. But here, it's the first time I have a full-time, uh, like, it's the first time it's been uh, called a full-time position. Yeah. So, yeah, we're just adjusting to that. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, how long have you and your wife been married? Oh, I should, uh, five years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> like, five or six. <laughs> the magic, magic question. Oh, that's, right. that's great. And, and how, how old is your daughter? She's two. She's two. That's right. Yeah. And I've, I've got a four-year-old son. So I, I, I mean, they're easy, right? They don't take any time and they're, none at all. They're, they're perfectly well-behaved. <laughs> no, that's, that's, no that's great. Well, uh, Leiden, I know from some of the conversations we had, you're very passionate about the church and, and service and, um, yeah, doing everything you can to, um, build the kingdom and, um, and those sorts of things. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your journey? Why, why are you in the church of the Nazarene? Where did you start? Um, kind of where's God been calling you a part of this? Yeah. So I got into the church of the Nazarene accidentally. Um, so my mom was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis like 15, 20 years ago. And, uh, she, she wanted to get right with God, you know, that whole, that new stage, you know, being right. sick, she wanted to, to get right with God. And so she started seeking a church. Uh, she grew up Catholic, but then converted to uh, Protestant is, or sorry, Pentecostal, the Pentecostal church uh, in Mexico. So I'm, I was oh. born in Mexico. I'm, I'm, Mex I'm Mexican, um, American citizenship, but I was born in Mexico. And so she, when she was, I think 15 or 16, she, she got saved in the big Pentecostal movement in Mexico and uh, decided that she was going to dedicate one of her sons to ministry, but she didn't tell me it was me <laughs> until later on in life. And yeah. so uh, when I when I started growing up or when I was growing up, uh, people just kind of talked to her. We were going to a, uh, a greater church of Christ, that denomination where they don't use any instruments. 
And nice. uh, yeah. I had just opportunities to kind of talk and, and be involved in things. And they, they, um, they told her like that, that, that kid's going to be a pastor. He's going to be a preacher. And I never thought anything of it. My mom didn't think much of it, but when she got sick, she kind of started pushing that a little bit more and kind of telling me like, you, you know, everyone said this, everyone's been saying you're called to ministry. I didn't think anything of it, but when, when we started going to the, to different churches, we stumbled across every Pentecostal church we could find uh, the, the crazy, you know, everything was going on too sure. much was going on. The, all the, no snakes, thankfully. Oh, that's good. I don't know if that's yeah. connected, but there, <laughs> it, it, it was just, it was a strange time. Cause we were going from church to church, kind of just looking for the, the right church. And we found a pastor and his, and his family were looking to start a home church. And so my parents liked that family. And so we all decided that we would start a home church together in our house. And, and so we were meeting there for about two years um, it didn't grow very much. And then the, the pastor ended up moving. I can't remember where he moved to, but he referred us to another pastor that was the pastor of the Church of the Nazarene that we ended up going to. However, as I mentioned, all the Pentecostal stuff, the pastor of that Nazarene church was not a Nazarene pastor, mm. didn't have Nazarene theology, didn't have any Wesleyan, anything like that. I don't know how he was ordained, but he was ordained. Uh, in the church of the Nazarene. And, and, and so we got into that church and my mom loved it, uh, loved the holiness message, but it was a weird, not, it wasn't a Nazarene holiness message. Right. It was a Pentecostal holiness message, a lot of hellfire talk and all that stuff and good, strong, deep community, but a lot of scaring you into church kind of sure. stuff. Sure. And um, that church, we were there for, I think about eight years um, and it was, it was going like, well, uh, but we, again, we didn't, I didn't know that, that the church of the Nazarene belonged, that that church belonged to a denomination. I just oh, knew sure. the church as the church of the Nazarene as that one church. And it wasn't until he left the, the church to go to, to some other state. I can't remember where he went, but when he left, he had taken a bunch of money, taken a, like oh. taken all kinds of stuff. And the church had grown to, to be pretty big. Uh, we started with like 50 or 60 and we grew to about 200 and it was Spanish speaking. You had Colombians, Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, Salvadorians, you know, a huge concoction of, of Latin Americans, you know, not getting along. Um, yeah. Well, it just, they, just sounds like awesome potlucks though. I mean, that would be my, Oh guess. man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was, that was, that was something I missed, but yeah. <laughs> uh, he, so he left and we were kind of left we were about to buy a building, uh, like a huge, a huge church building. And, uh, and he, and he left the, the church and we discovered all these, these things that were going on under the hood. Uh, there was no board. We didn't have any connection to the, to the district. So there was no accountability anywhere. Um, and then um, we started getting back into the, to the district and we had to vote in, you know, our, our, our next pastor. And there were two candidates. One was a Nazarene the other wasn't uh, and everyone voted for the Nazarene pastor, but it was a woman. Um, and that culture just didn't know. They didn't like it. And I don't know That's how, sure. yeah, I don't know how she was elected by so many people that ended up not wanting to see her. And so we lost about 120, 150 people. Wow. And so we went from this huge group to a very small group. And, but then we, you know, we started paying our budgets. We started getting involved in the district. That's when I learned, that there were camps, that there were schools, that there that it was a global thing. Right. I learned about NCM, met the missionaries, met the DSs, and that's when my eyes were open to to that that world. Um, and then along with that came uh, Wesleyan theology, and I had I hadn't studied I hadn't studied theology, but I had a like a kind of a knack for reading the Bible and kind yeah. of understanding things. But it was kind of laced with the you know Pentecostal. Uh, thinking and that and a lot of hellfire like I said a lot of the kind of punishment stuff sure um, and it, it was it, it never connected with what I was reading in, in the bible the the way the preaching was you know the way the pastor preached didn't really make sense to what to what I was reading and to what I was thinking and so when I discovered Wesleyan theology I was like this is amazing like this <laughs> yeah. is the gold yeah. mine nice um and so I, I kind of started reading more of the Bible, started thinking more theologically, 
And being the, the oldest teenager in the group made me the youth pastor because <laughs> there course, was no yeah. one else, of course. Yeah. So I was the youth pastor and the Sunday school pastor, and I had no idea what I was doing. I I still didn't wasn't convinced that I fully believed in God, but it made sense. Huh. Like yeah. Wesleyan theology was making more sense, but I wasn't convinced of it all yet. Sure. Yeah. But how, because I was the older kid. Yeah. And how, how how so how old were you at that point? Like 16 years old. Oh, okay. That's what I okay. Yeah. Wow. So I was about 16 years old and I was the youth pastor. Um, and that that pastor allowed me to preach a few times. Oh, wow. My first sermon uh, was in Spanish nice. and I speak Spanish fluently, but it's still like not the, my primary, it, it's my first language, but it, it wasn't something I like regularly did. Sure. And, and services, you know, are three hours long in, in <laughs> Latin services. And so it's an hour of worship, an hour of testimonies, and then an hour of preaching. Yeah. And so she, my first sermon, she was like, you're just going to preach, use up all the time you can. I, so I wrote my sermon. I had it. I had the notes. I ran through it a bunch of times and I was like, it'll, this will fill about an hour. And when I went to go preach it, I finished the whole thing in like 10 minutes. Yep. Yep. And so I was like, what do I do? And I just, I just started over from the beginning. Oh no. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I kept doing the same thing over and over until the time ran out. I think I made it to like 40 minutes before everybody was like, Hey, we get it. Like we're, you, yep, you we heard you. Of, yeah, we heard you, we heard it. And then, but then I, I, I kind of learned to, to, be better about it. And yeah. my second sermon was better, but it was still a lot of repetition. And, yeah. But that that pastor gave me a lot of room to fail. She gave me a lot of opportunities to try things and a lot of it didn't work out, but she, she invested heavily into my ministry. Um, and then when I went to teen camp one year, right, before, right around when I was had turned 18 and graduated high school, I took the youth group to the to teen camp for the first time. And uh, that's when I received my call to ministry. Mm. And um, I ignored it. I didn't want sure. to go into ministry. I, I didn't like the idea of pastoring. I wasn't convinced that it was something for me, but um, nothing else made sense. But I still just didn't want to do it. And so I started running from that calling and I, I, I sold cars for a little bit that I didn't like it. I felt <laughs> sleazy. Uh, it was a bad dealership. But then I, I went into social work with um, respite care for take, just taking care of kids while their parents were going off to like rehab facilities and stuff like that. And that was a, a very good eye-opening experience of learning like, well, there's suffering, there's yeah. there's stuff you can do uh, to help, you know, there's good services and stuff like that. But I was still not sure of what I should be doing. Yeah. And then um, I, I just, I, I went to that teen camp and got my call to ministry um, and, and, in my running, I kept kind of like running from God. I kept going back to that idea of like, I, I need to be in ministry, but I don't, I just don't want to do this. Um, but it wasn't until that, the, like a, that moment of, 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 of clarity came when I was, uh, had joined the army. Uh, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was lost, confused, um, angry that I couldn't figure things out. Our family was having some trouble at the time everything was falling apart. And so my solution was join the army. Yeah. Um, and I had, I had talked with a few pastors cause I had those convictions of like, well, I don't know if I can join the army cause I don't want to kill anybody. I don't know if it's, if it's okay. And, the, sure. and I had pastors, I had, some of the pastors were like, well, you don't, not everybody goes to war, but there were some pastors that said like, you need to go because God needs people in his army, kind of, you know, that nationalistic right. thinking. Right. Um, and so I went thinking that it was where God wanted me to be in case I wanted to come back. But I had no intention of pursuing my call. I had no intention of going to Bible college or anything like that. But uh, when I told my mom that I was enlisting, she was furious because she was like, you've had your call. You've received your call. Why aren't you right. doing what it? What are you doing? Yeah. Now, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, and so I, I just I, I told her like, well, they, they'll, they'll pay for my student loans. Uh, if I if I join the army, they'll pay for my student loans. And just told her that kind of just to get her to stop talking about it. Uh, but my intention was to join the army and then figure something out. I would get some kind of certificate or, or some kind of degree right. along the line. Um, but it was during basic training where I received another call, the most like the loudest God has ever been in my life. Other than when it was time to have a baby, that was that's another story. But 
uh, it was like several weeks in, I was just uncomfortable. I didn't want to be there, but I didn't know what else to be doing. Uh, but we during a ruck march, we were, I was walking just, I don't know if you know what ruck march is. You just put on a bunch of gear and you march. That's what sure. you do. And so one of the tricks to kind of get your brain to stop thinking about the discomfort is you just pick a point ahead of you. You walk to it, you pick another point and you just stare at it. You walk to it. And several miles in, I was, I was staring at just a, a block of trees, just looking at the trees and the light kind of came up like right as I was getting close to it. And I saw the, the leaves, the details of the leaves were very evident. It was just a beautiful moment where I was like, man, like that is, that's crazy like that, that, that it's so detailed. And I thought like, well, God made that right. Kind of not still not fully convinced in his existence and fully convinced of anything. And it, it was in that moment where I felt God say, are you done running from me yet? Mm. And I was just, and then I realized like, I am not supposed to be here. I, I, wow. I am in the wrong place. I shouldn't be here. And um, it was, that was kind of like my, you know, come to Jesus moment, sanctifying moment where I was like, God, yeah, I'll, I'll do whatever you need me to do. Mm. I am so sorry that I went down the wrong road. And during the rest of basic training, I spent the whole time just reading my Bible. They give you a, a book the the handbook of like the soul the american soldier and we were supposed to be reading it anytime we weren't we weren't doing something we were supposed to be reading out of this book and so i i had the book open but i had a small little bible that i would hide inside (laughs) and i was just reading yeah (laughs) just kind of getting familiar i was reading over the the new testament just back and forth over and over and the book of isaiah for some reason just Mm. going through that and so i spent the rest of basic training reading and talking to people not sharing the gospel but just talking to them and, and hearing what the, their experiences about church, their experiences about God. Um, and then when I left basic training, went off to AIT, still kept up that same study. I was still reading the Bible, still trying to figure out what I was supposed to do. And then when I got back home, I started going to college because I was, I thought like, well, if I go to, if I, if I go to Bible college, this will, th- these credits will count for something. Um, and I had enrolled in this, this, the university back home. And was just taking general, your general eds and um, wasn't doing well. I was just kind of just showing up, but I was driving home from school and uh, somebody from NBC called me because I had, I had applied to NBC uh, a while, like right around the time that I received my call, I came back on fire, ready to go. But I started, you know, I I was started running away from, from God. But during that fire time, I, I took a class uh through the district he ref- the, the teacher referred me to nbc i applied to nbc back when you still had to like write an essay and get all these things and and, and right. they might not accept you <laughs> yeah so i was nervous and so they they accepted me i went i went to the school with my parents and they told me um that i i couldn't get any help at the time um because my my dad's business had gone under it was like oh wait that that season and we were filing for bankruptcy and so I wasn't able to get any kind of federal aid. And so the, the, the admin told me like, you're, you have three options. You can either, um, you can get married, you can get emancipated, or you can join the military to become a separate adult so that you can get any kind of financial aid. Um, or you can just take out student loans to pay for this you know, on your own. And I was like, well, I don't want to go in debt. I'll just, I'll, I'll just figure something else out. But I, I started talking to my friends that were in the army and, and they were the ones that referred me. But by the time I started taking it seriously, I was, I was convinced I just didn't want to go, mm-hmm. but I came back and, and they had my contact information. And so they called me and said, Hey, we're starting this program where you can get your associate's degree in a year and a half that will set you up to go to your bachelor's degree. Uh, in, in ministry, if you're still interested. And, and that was like a moment where I felt God's like, this is, this is where you should go. Mm. And so I went, uh, dropped everything. I was, I started dating my, my now wife at the time. We had just, just started dating. And I was like, Hey, sorry, I'm moving to Colorado. Let's make this work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it worked. <laughs> we, nice. we made it work. Um, but I moved out there and um, I started going to the, the Nazarene churches there. I, I just kind of wherever they could find me. I played drums. So I said, does anybody need a drummer? And everyone was like, yeah, we all need yeah, a yeah. drummer. <laughs> Hot commodity. Yeah. Right. Right. And so I, I started, I started going to, to Eastboro, a church of the Nazarene there. And, and I was under uh, a great pastor and while I was out in Bible college. Um, but during, during that, 
that like two year period where I was in Colorado, I was in a, a unit in Colorado with my, with the army. And um, I was struggling with some questions about like, you know, where does the military fit in with this Christianity thing? Where is my identity? Is it in my, is it in being a soldier? Is it in my Christianity? Um, and I went to the requirement for the social, for the, uh, the student loan repayment is that you need to serve two years while going to school and then you can start withdrawing your money to pay for schooling okay. and so i went to the recruiter within because every, every unit is assigned a recruiter i went to the guy and was like can i get my money he looked at my contract and he's like there's no money in here for student loans and i was like no there should be forty thousand dollars in there like it's in my contract and they looked through it again like it's not in your contract and then they pulled up another file that said that the recruiter that i had originally signed with showed me a contract, but then pulled that money out of my contract right before I signed. And so he had me sign a whole new contract that oh didn't have the student loan repayment that I supposedly went to the army to, you know, to wow. join to join for. And so I lost all that money. And so I ended up, if I had just gotten the student loans, I would have been in the same position without having joined the army. So it was right. kind of God's way of saying like, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah, <laughs> I wow. felt like it was God kind of showing me, you know, your identity is not in your in your service to the to the military. It's it's in me, solely in me. If you follow me, I will I will lead you. I will guide you. And so it was kind of a, a, a harsh lesson, but it was I think it was a lesson that I needed to have because mm. um, it took me down a lot of roads. I met a lot of different people, a lot of different thinkers that changed a lot of my theology that I grew up with that was very toxic and very dangerous um, to now I think a, a better more robust theology that fits in with the Church of the Nazarene under the Wesleyan theology and so you know that's that's kind of how 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 I got started and how I ended up in in where I where I still am now yeah so so what at what point did did you know that the church of the Nazarene was your church, right? Cause you had a, you had a history of, I think, right. Hopping around and trying new things and, mm -hmm. um, and those kinds of things. So what, 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 I don't know if there was a moment or what made you decide that when you came back from the army or whatever it was, uh, that church of the Nazarene was it. Yeah. Well, the, this, the Wesleyan theology that, that kept me around and the communities that I was a part of the other, the other pastors that I was with uh, while I was in Bible college, they just, they helped me out a lot. They talked with me. They listened to me. They let me preach. They let me, I, I became the youth pastor while I was at Eastboro. Um, okay. I, I was the interim youth pastor uh, for a while. Then, then the pastor left and, and I became the, the senior youth pastor, but nobody told me the, the board didn't tell me that, that I had been voted in as the youth pastor. Surprise. Yeah. Right. Until after I had, until after I left. So <laughs> I, I, I had sent in my resignation because I had been offered a position back home uh, under my, my father-in-law where I, I, was, I was there for seven years uh, when I was when I resigned um, or when I was when I had told them, like, I'm leaving. They're like, well, you need to send in a letter of resignation. I was like, I, I'm I'm why I'm the interim. And they're like, no, you you're the official youth pastor. And I was like, since when? And they're like, it's been a few months. Have we not told you? I was like, I had no idea that I was, that I was the official youth pastor. Uh, and so uh, I came back home and I was under the, the my father-in-law who was at in Albuquerque and, and I was I was he he retired five years into my time there and then I was I, I and, and one other pastor were the interim pastors for that church for a year and a half and then enter COVID and then the new pastor came in and I served under him for a year before I came here but what kept me in the church of the Nazarene uh, has always been the other leaders, uh, yeah. other, other people, good, good people that have just encouraged me, um, uh, helped me during difficult uh, situations. A lot of times, a lot of things that, you know, the, that the Nazarene church itself, uh, has done were, were difficult for me to stay, but there were people within the, within the, the ranks that kind of helped me to see like, well, no, like, like stay, like, like there's, this is going to be beneficial for you later, or we need you for this. We need you for that. And so it's more my loyalty to other people that have invested into me uh, that are still around. And so I, you know, I kind of want to be a part of what they're doing. A lot of, there's a lot of great things that the, the church of the Nazarene is doing that I fully believe in that I want to be a part of, and I can't be a part of it if I'm not part of the denomination. 
Yeah, no, that's good. And I, I, I love that your story has, is just full of, yeah, people giving you opportunities um, of, I mean, even at a very young age of, I think even before you were even fully committed to following Jesus, right? You're oh, yeah. preaching your first sermon and um, wrestling and, and you've had history of church, you know, terrible church stuff, right? Happening. And, um, but you, you stayed the course because people gave you opportunity, which is, which is cool. So when, when, when you think about the church of the Nazarene and, and those sorts of things, what, what's your favorite thing, right? Like what's, what's one of the things that you say, this, this is why I love my denomination. Uh, NCM is a big, yeah. is a big thing. Uh, I love what Nazarene Compassion Ministries is doing. I love our missionaries. Um, I, I just, I love the, the creativity. I love the resourcefulness and I know all missionaries are creative and resourceful, but there's just something about the tenacity of Nazarene missionaries and 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 the, the global Nazarene church. You know, it's not just it's not just the United States. I'm excited about what's going on, you know, in Europe and Africa and all over the world. I'm, I'm just excited about what is being done. And the Nazarene church just finds a way. It seems like we just yeah. find a way to get things done. And I, I love that about the, the denomination. They're resourceful, they're limber. Um you know, we have our bureaucracies, we have our, our politics and, and like not our polity, our politics. We have, we have all that stuff that's not ideal, but it's still NCM, I think, is doing really good things, really strong things. Um, Shepherd Indy here in, in, in Indianapolis, I think, is doing great things. Uh, Derek Taylor over at Point Loma uh, is doing phenomenal things with the with the with the Center of Pastoral Leadership and and. Um, their life coaching program that they're developing for pastors. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I get to be a part of that. I get to be one of the coaches that helps. I, I help other pastors kind of get clarity and get some understanding of, of their ministry as well as just general, you know, how can we, how can we encourage you? How can we yeah. be a safe place for you to think out loud without thinking like I'm going to get fired, that kind of thing. And so I get to be a part of that. And, and so I'm, I'm excited for those things. Yeah. And, and like we both know Kenny Wade, He's plugged. He's given me more opportunities than I could have believed in or, or ever expected, and so I just have good people that have that have kept me around. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I love that, and I love what, yeah, and I love what Derek's doing at Point Loma, like you said, of that space that I think all pastors we need mm -hmm. to be able to just speak our minds, right? That we don't have to be on, right? We don't have to be worried about is this can be brought back to one of my board members, right, or right. Um, whatever. DS. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's cool. So how 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 did you get connected with Derek and um, helping coach and that kind of stuff? I don't I don't remember how I got connected. I think so. At my last church, the the youth pastor was the is the the president um, uh, for the district, and so she was connected to the region. And Derek being connected to to her, uh, Jordan West being connected there. Uh, she invited him over for a group coaching one time and he came and, and did some a group session with us and i was like man this guy's this guy's cool <laughs> he's got some really cool ideas and so i approached him and just kind of said like is there anything that i can do to help you to get, can be a part of this and um and he kind of just accepted me and gave me gave me things to do and then he spoke at a teen camp uh and i connected with him there and we kind of we just got along and so when you started the, the life coaching program, he kind of asked me, like, are you interested in doing anything like this? He was mentoring me for a little while, just privately between like separate from the from the program. Yeah. And uh, he he invited me to, to, to different to be coached several times. I, I've gotten coached by through his program and by him directly a lot. And, and then he has um, when, when he started the program, he, he asked me if I wanted to be one of the coaches to go through the, the certification process and to be one of the coaches for the project that he's running. And so I, I that's how I was connected to him. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. cool. So yeah. when, yeah, so when you think about that, because um, I'm sure, right, that that's one of the objectives you're trying to probably accomplish, right, as you're coaching these pastors is to help them stay the course, right? Help them feel yeah. validated and that they're in the right place or helping them discern, right? Some of that. So what, what, do, we, what do you think that looks like? Um, how do you, or maybe you don't know yet, I don't know, but how do you help uh, some of these pastors in those those positions? Well, it's helping them get clarity. Uh, life, co the, the, the coaching program is designed to help them think at a higher level. Mm. Uh, so I, I feel like a lot of times, a lot of pastors get stuck in their thinking. 
Um, they, they don't know what they should be doing. They don't know what they should be trying. Sure. And so coming into a life coaching session, like the first question in a life coaching session is, what do you want to think about? Mm-hmm. And I spend the rest of my time listening for cues, listening for things and just asking good questions to help them go from confusion to clarity to setting up action. Like, okay, well, now that I have clarity on this, this is what I'm going to do. And so over, over time, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's intensive. It's, it's focused on getting clarity on, on what needs to happen. Um, I mentored uh, a pastor out in California through the program for nine months. Um, and just watching him go from like, you know, I'm just, just getting my, my feet wet to like, here is in our last session, I was just blown away by the progress he had made and just, yeah. and, and it's not because of me, because the life, life coaching is, is more, you have the answers. I'm just asking the questions. Right. And so that's, that's the whole point of it. And so I, I find that it's going to be effective. And I hope the denomination pushes this, this across the whole, the whole world really, because it's effective. Like for me, it's, it's kept me in ministry. It's kept me, you know, de- devoted to this. And so I, I want to help other people do the same thing. No, that's cool. You know, stay the course. Yeah. Yeah. So when, um, I don't know, I'm sure there's, there's other millennial pastors listening to this, yeah. maybe some that are in, in our denomination, you know, others in other denominations or, um, what would you say to them, right? If they're, if they're struggling, if they're maybe thinking about being one of the ones to leave the church of the Nazarene, um, or maybe join the church of the Nazarene, um, I don't know what, what, what do you want to say to them? I would, I would say I get it. Uh, you know, if you're wanting to leave and you're wanting and you're looking for reasons to stay, that one's hard. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I would try to convince them to stay just, just for the sake of staying. I would, I would really, if you, if you're struggling and you're not sure what to do, it's ask good questions, mm-hmm. ask good questions, you know, ask challenging questions to yourself and to the people around you. And if you just can't get good answers, you know, then, you know, by all means, if you need to step out, you need to step out. Cause if you're not going to be able to serve here, then, you know, I'm not saying like, if you can't help us leave, that's not my attitude or my thinking at all. But like, if it's hurting you more to stay, then, then you should take a break and, and see what you can do. But if you are, if you want to stay, you're just not sure how, uh, ask good questions, learn yeah. to ask good questions, challenging questions, um, try to figure out why things are the way that they are, you know, instead of uh, just focusing on the problem, try to figure out what the problem is, where the problem is coming from and kind of rally around that problem and and try to, and and connect with other people, connect with other pastors, uh, connect with anyone who who's willing to take you in, you know, while being aware of, you know, our human nature of, you know, people hurt, people hurt people. Um, you know, so be careful, but, but I think connect with other people and, and be vulnerable, lead with vulnerability. It's, that's something that, um, that I've learned is uncomfortable, but has been effective for me. Um, I try to lead out of my vulnerability and it's bitten me a lot, but it's also helped me a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's when you're the one that gets to be vulnerable, other people get to start thinking like, Oh, if he's doing it, then I can do it. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it just opens up the conversation and it allows for, for healing and it allows for, for, for movement, you know, ideas start flowing when you're, when you're in that, that, that kind of state of awareness. And so I, I would just say like, you know, ask good questions and or surround yourself with people that, that are hurting next to you and, and, but also people that, that also want to stay and just try to figure out a way to, to stay, figure out a way to, to, to find some kind of a solution. Uh, that's good. It, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think, you know, I think back through conversations with some of my friends and, and, and I think a lot of times as pastors were, I mean, even from our professors were taught, mm-hmm. you can't have friends in church, right? You can't yeah. have friends in ministry. I don't know if, if you ever had a professor tell you that, um, yeah. And I, I have tried to live my life in opposition to that of saying, no, I think the only way I can do this is if I have friends in church. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's very clearly like there are people I cannot be friends with and that's fine. Um, right. I am their pastor and, and, right. and that's my role. Um, but there are, yeah, like you said, there are people who, that I know are safe 
and that I've developed that relationship with. I don't know. What what do you think about that? What have you found in your ministry? Um, what is what does that look like for you to make sure you have people around you that you need? Yeah, it's it, it is hard. It is hard to find people uh, to be friends with. Um, it's been hard because when you're the pastor and and even if you're the kind of the same age as the people that are around you, it always ends up usually always turns into some kind of a mentorship thing where sure they approach you and like, oh, yeah, you want to be friends like help me with this problem. And you're like, well, I, I kind of needed your help. And <laughs> <Right>. it's <laughs> um, but but I, I think just keep keep asking, keep keep finding people because I, I have friends now that are, are, are close friends that aren't ministers, but a lot of my closest friends are ministers. And yeah. so I kind of, I'm having trouble finding that balance of, um, you know, making friends within the church. Uh, where I'm at now, it's, it's kind of hard just because there's, there's not a whole lot of people my age. Um, sure. And a lot of them have, you know, more kids than I do. And so it's kind of hard to even set time apart. But um, most of my, my good friends are, are ministers. And so that has helped me stick around and, and stay around and even like online relationships people that you connect with you know over over instagram or whatever yeah um, th- those have been helpful for me those connections have been helpful for me and um given me opportunities to kind of talk and invent and complain um but yeah a lot of it has been just you know, my, my last district that i was in i had a great group of people that 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 we were always connected and every every time we were at teen camp together you know the teens were over here and then the the group of of pastors youth, youth pastors were here and we just had a great time rallying around one another and yeah, cool. finding ways to support each other and so i th- that's that's what i like about young adults in the denomination is that we we really rally around each other yeah because uh, we need it we know that we yeah. need it and so we we stick close to each other and and, and make make those strong connections no, that's, that's great yeah. Yeah, no. Um, so for for maybe some of the the older pastors um, who don't consider the, consider themselves millennials, um, mm-hmm. who are maybe in that that older fifty five age bracket, right? That that is kind of the leading group in our denomination. Um, what what might you say to them of trying to help fix this idea, this problem of young pastors leaving, young pastors not being given opportunities? Um, what what advice might you give to them? Yeah, I, I I would say uh, listen to them and take them seriously. Hmm. Um, I think I think one of the biggest problems that I that I see across every district is the competitive nature yeah. uh, of pastors. You know, you go to district assemblies and everyone gets along, but it's kind of like tongue in cheek. Like, yeah, how does your church do this year? And right. how are how are things there? Um, and I think that's that is driving a lot of pe- young people, not just young ministers, just young people away. Because sure. I think young people are following, um, following because they, they want to see change. They want to see difference being made because of their attendance and through, you know, through their church. And so if young adults aren't given a space to, to carry out their convictions, they're not going to stick around. And I don't think that I don't think they're also going to shop around for other churches. I think more of them are just leaving and they're just staying out. Uh, I know of a lot that that have left and are going to to more like the house church movement, right? Which has been interesting. That's I, I've been I've been following that a little bit. But if we don't give if if we don't get have a space to talk, then we're going to find a space to talk. Mm. And if it's not in churches, it's going to be somewhere else. And so I would say to to the older pastors like stop competing with the other churches first off. I know it's hard. I know it's tempting. No, I know, I know why it happens, but that's driving young people away. Um, but then give, give your young ministers or young people that are wanting to try things, give them the space to try things and to fail at things. Yeah. You know, give them the keys to the building as yeah. Uh, what's that? What's that book? Grow, 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 growing young. Yeah. Yes. Growing young. Yeah. yeah. Give them the keys to the building. Let them try things, let them fail at things. Yeah. Um, because if they don't get those chances, they're not going to take it seriously because they want buy-in. I think young adults, we want to, we want to buy into this. We don't just want to sit in there in the pews and sing the hymns and go to the Christmas things and all the potlucks right. and everything. Those are great. Those are good, but they've become sacred cows that we, you know, we, we can't do anything with them. 
Right. We can't get rid of them, but we don't yeah. want to be a part of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. It, um, yeah. And I think, um, one of, one of my, one of my hypothesis, uh, hypotheses that I, that I think is a part of this solution is, is exactly what you said of, of, we need to give younger pastors opportunity. Um, and, and, and I think, and again, our, our leadership model, our structure is like, yeah, they can have opportunity if they go to school and they do these things and, and right. so on, they prove themselves that they want to be a pastor and then they can come and, and maybe I'll let them preach on a Sunday evening or something. Um, right. and eventually they might come and it's, I think the reality is even those that come, even the young pastors that do go through the hoops and find themselves in the church of the Nazarene, maybe, they, you know, finally they work their, their, their way up to be a lead pastor or whatever it is. And we send them to the worst church on the district and, right. and there's no one their age. Uh, I mean, it's kind of, you know, um, they're in some small town and, and I know you resonate with this of, uh, yeah, there's someone here that, that I, I can remotely be a friend with because they're all 20 years older than me and, right. and those sorts of things. And then we wonder why they leave. Um, right. And so they go find their friends and they go do church uh, elsewhere or they maybe stop doing church. Mm -hmm. And so it is right it is part of the part of the answer. Um, you know, do we need to go out and find young people and help surround them? Right. And just say, let me help empower you with your house church. Let me help empower you. Um, to do this thing, because I know young people are doing things, right? They're doing mm -hmm. things that have impact. Um, they're building the kingdom in ways that we never thought to do. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so that's that's part of what I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm curious to see what 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 has worked and what what's been happening. I don't know if you have thoughts. Yeah, yeah I mean, I as far as like young people, young pastors, you know, getting started, I would add like minor in ministry and major in something else. If you're going to go <laughs> to good. college, major in yeah. something that's going to make you money because I'm not trying to be like negative uh, or see the kind of the doom and gloom, but like, I just, I don't know if the senior pastor is going to be a viable career in the next 10, 20 years. Sure. Uh, and so a lot of the young people that are getting ready to go into ministry now, that I think they're kind of banking on the idea of like, yeah, I'll be able to provide for my family with a pastoral role. I, you know, the role I have now, I can sustain my family, but it's one of the only jobs that was in the, like the whole country. Right. And it, it, and it wasn't a senior pastor job. I, I don't feel called to senior right. ministry. I'll do it if God yeah. fully, like, it's like, all right, and it's time. I'll do it if God tells me, but I wasn't looking for a senior pastor job. And, and so I was, when I was offered this youth pastor job, I was like, there's no way this is real. Like, there's no way it'll it can it, it's happening and yeah. thankfully the pastor that i'm with now i know him like i i've known him for a long time and so that's how we were connected um but he has invested into me over 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 a decade and that's how i've ended up here but if it hadn't been for that direct involvement i, I don't think I, I would be here yeah. and i think a lot of pastors you know like you said they tell you you know if you do all if you if you jump through all the hoops we'll let you in they're not, it, they're not going to jump through the hoops because school is so expensive. Like Pat, I mean, ministry school is expensive and we're not talking about it enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like it's, it's so expensive and it's not, uh, it's not paying out what, you know, it's not a good investment financially, you know, if we're going into tremendous debt and we're not even going to be able to get a full-time ministry job to pay for that debt, you know, it, it's not, it's not worth it, but, but we don't, but then you're not taken seriously if you don't have a degree. You know, there's right. there's the route of of what's that route called? Uh, the denomination where it's like you're not going to college, but you get accredited through through like NBC or or some kind of other program. Like those exist, but no one takes those seriously. And so, right, you you're you're not given a a a big church until you have the MDiv and the stamp of approval from right. all the GSs and all that whatnot. And I see why, but you have all these other pastors that want to be involved, that want to do things that aren't fitting into that mold and they're being ignored because they don't look like they don't look the part. And, right. yeah. and not to say that the schools aren't preparing good ministers, but a lot of the ministers that graduate from like seminary, they go to their first pastorate and then they preach their first sermon. Then, you know, after, right. after exactly. seminary, it's like, how is that possible? <laughs> Yep. Thankfully, I had opportunities to preach while I was still 
getting my associate's degree. And so by the time I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I had you know several years of experience preaching um, and, and teaching and leading. And so I was grateful that I didn't get to go the traditional route because I was, I was just given opportunities to, to do other things and learn things kind of a harder way. Um, but it opened up doors for me. And then just, you know, networking and connecting with people has helped me. Um, not like, I'm not trying to give like career advice to <laughs> totally to work your way to get where I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like if, if there are other options, like find those other options. Like if, but I think if, if we don't have, if we don't, get rid of the stigma around the degree and the the preparation that we want them to fit this certain mold. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be harder and harder to keep people around it. I do, I do see the merit in education. I do see the merit in, in preparing ministers. Um, but I think we need to do things differently or at least consistently across the denomination. Yeah. You know, it's different. Ordination is different district by district and that's so frustrating especially transferring from one district to the yes, other it's like, yeah. well did it all count you know yeah did it all go to waste yeah no that's that's good it it i think as as the landscape is changing and, and i and i don't think the church is is the only one experiencing this right i think we see right. it throughout all the labor force of um, younger people saying well was my degree worth it or i got a degree in you know, underwater basket weaving, and I can't actually ever use that. Um, right. And so what, what, what am I going to do with that? Um, but it's, you know, it, it, I think culturally, we are shifting in that in a different direction, and, and the church is no exception. And so how do we, um, one, financially fund our ministers to live well, um, and, and have what they need um, without, yeah, um, but also, yeah, also maintaining you know, the theological integrity and doctrine, you know, mm -hmm. and all those things that that also are important, um, uh, especially as a denomination and those things. Well, hey, I appreciate appreciate the time you take you, you have taken today, Eden. And um, I love your story of, um, you know, it's not been one that's been easy of, uh, um, you know, going through all sorts of stuff of uh, probably more church hurt than a lot of people have have probably seen and, and pastors have, you know, taken advantage of situations and all sorts of stuff. But um, I think a, a strong legacy of people speaking into you, um, which is powerful. Um, and I yeah. think it, it gives us that opportunity uh, to think of you know, who are the people we are we are speaking into, right? Who are the people that we are giving opportunity to? I think that's what the future of the Church of Nazarene looks like, right? A church that speaks into young people and gives opportunity. Um, so as we, we wrap up, any last, last thoughts that you want to share? Yeah, I, I just, I, I want to, encourage people that it it's tough but it it's there's there's a peace that comes with knowing that you're following god and whatever that might be you know that it, it might be that you find peace leaving um more than you do staying i think i think we get caught up too much in the denominational lines of like well i need to be i need to be nazarene i need to be you know methodist i need to be whatever yeah i think I think if as, as long as we're all aiming towards God, towards Christ and serving Christ, that that should be the priority. Yeah. I think that, you know, the Nazarene church is doing a good job of it. You know, overall, I think is doing a good job. There's, you know, there's there's its own issues, there's there's its problems. Um, but I, I think that if we if we talk about these things publicly, we'll find that we have a lot of common ground. Yeah. Um, that was one of the things that I, I realized when we went to that summit together. Like if we talk about these things, like we're actually all kind of on the same page here. And, but, but people just don't want to talk about these things because, because of that fear of, of losing jobs and, and, or losing opportunities. And I, I get it. But if we don't talk about these things, nothing is going to happen. Not, yeah. Nothing is going to change. Nothing is going to be fixed. And so there needs to be, there needs to be the critique, there needs to be the encouragement, there needs to be all of that. And so I just ask good questions. Everyone just ask good questions and talk when it's your turn. Don't, don't not talk when it's your turn. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's something I've, I've missed out on a lot. And that's, that's been a lot of the reason that I've been hurt within the church was that I didn't speak up when I should have. Yeah. Um, because I was afraid, but things sure. worked out either way. So ask good questions and speak up when it's your turn. 
no, that's good. That's good. And, and, I, and I think you're absolutely right, Eden. That's a beautiful picture of, of also realizing the Church of the Nazarene isn't the church, right? It's mm -hmm. not the kingdom. Um, we're simply a small piece of, of something right. much larger that we get to be a part of. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the very same realization I came to of saying, yeah, the Church of the Nazarene has a lot of issues, and as every denomination does and will, um, but there are things here that I think are, are worth enduring, right? There are things here that, that have, have power and impact, um, and we can't fix it if we're not a part of it. Um, right. So I, again, I thank you for being a part of the Church of the Nazarene. It is a, a blessing to minister alongside you, um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing where, where Pastor Eden goes of, of what's next uh, within your journey. Well, I, I appreciate uh, you for listening uh, to our conversation here um, with Season 8 of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm looking forward to uh, these many more conversations ahead with other pastors who have committed to stay in our denomination. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. I know Josiah keeps telling me to tell people that. So I hope, hope you can join us uh, as we uh, keep looking for this intersection of faith and culture uh, in a, from a millennial perspective. Thanks for joining us. Have a good rest of your day. Since we love millennials so much on this podcast, we thought it would be appropriate to promote our fellow millennial authors. Here's one now. Grace and peace, friends. My name is Brent Neely, and I recently compiled the book of ancient prayers, 365 plus prayers from the saints of the church. This is a daily prayer book which can be utilized to introduce you and others to different historic prayers throughout our history. It ranges all the way from the first known prayer outside of scripture up until prayers from the turn of the century. It utilizes people from all around the world bringing together a resource that can be used to dive deeper into your prayer life. I hope you all enjoy it. Peace. There is a link in the description if you would like to buy their book. Thank you for supporting your local millennial pastor slash author. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Jonathan Wren. Original music by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening, and please consider rating, reviewing, or subscribing so both you and other fans of Millennial Pastors can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.